I want to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 14. I don't know about you, I just love the, I just love Resurrection Day. I just love having that brought to our minds again, as, as it should be every day, but you know, we get into life, things start happening, we kind of lose track of it, we need to be reminded, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We are no longer bound by the grip of sin. We no longer have a hopeless eternity. We are blessed because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Psalm chapter 14, are you there? I'm going to read out of the Amplified. I like the way it brings this out. I want you to look at this. Psalm chapter 14. The spiritually ignorant fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed repulsive and unspeakable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand and act wisely, who truly seek after God, longing for his wisdom and guidance. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have all the workers of wickedness and injustice no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they tremble with fear, for God is with the consistently righteous generation. You evildoers shamefully plan against the poor, but the Lord is his safe refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Then Jacob will rejoice and Israel will be glad. I want to pray, but as we do, I want to pray for Robin's family and forgot to do that earlier. She lost her father this week, so let's pray. And Father, I just, I ask God that you will have your way and open your word to us today. Help us to understand. Help us, help our faith to grow today. Lord, and I just pray that your peace will be upon Robin and her family in this time of loss, that you will bring a, a peace and Somehow, Lord, in, in family dynamics, when all that is going on is so, so rushed and orchestrated because of this situation, I ask God that you will show yourself real to them. And we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're celebrating two holidays today. Well, some people are. What? It's called Easter. I like to call it Resurrection Day and April Fool's Day. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that that fell on the same day? (laughs) The Bible says a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Now we often think that that means that God is saying anybody who doesn't believe in God is stupid. And that's not really the context of what is being said there. That's not the exact definition. What it actually means is more the foolish, the irreverent. Those that are irreverent towards God. One person said, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. (laughs) True, I guess. (laughs) So foolish does not mean stupid. It means impious. We, We reject the things of God. Not showing respect or reverence towards the things of God. Basically senseless. And I've talked about that the last couple of weeks. And I mentioned that I, I saw a thing where somebody had said that if you want to destroy your faith in the Bible, all you have to do is read it. And I think, uh, 
Yeah, you are so out of your league. You have no clue what you're talking about there. Uh, we see it often if you get on the internet, especially if you get on social media and you see comments to Christian posts. There's always the people that talk about the, the, uh, the big man in the sky, the, you know, the fairy tale guy in the sky, and all these comments, these derogatory comments that they make towards God. And science would have us believe that it's irrational to believe in God. We aren't rational. And they will make comments like, uh, I'm a rational person, so I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Hmm. I have come to realize through looking at this, because you know me, I'm kind of a geek. I like to look at all that stuff. I've come to realize that it takes far more faith to believe in science a lot of times than it does to believe in God. See, here's what science should ideally do. Blank slate, look at evidence, come up with theory based on blank slate. We are human and we are incapable of doing that. We can't do it. You and I as Christians, when we see evidence, we interpret that evidence through our belief in God. People that do not believe in God interpret the same evidence based on their not their lack of faith in God, in their belief otherwise. We as humans cannot look at it in a blank slate. We can't do it as much as we might try. So science already has the answer and then looking for the evidence to their support their answer. We do the same thing. We just do that. People will deny the truth Basically because it doesn't fit their wants. <laughs> we don't like... First of all, this is the main thing people fight with. Atheists fight with. The simple fact of the matter that if God is real, then they're not Him. And that's what bugs them the most. We hate to give up our, our belief that we are the ultimate. We are almighty. I, I was watching a video of, of the Chuck Norris memes, and they actually had him reading them, and it was hilarious to watch because he's, he's cracking up, you know. When Chuck Norris does a push-up, he doesn't actually push up. He pushes the earth down. And, you know, all those that, that, that are done with Chuck Norris. And, and it's, it's hilarious to see, but, you know, man struggles with that. We are the top of this thing. There's nobody bigger than me. There's nobody more mighty than me. There's nobody that's smarter than me. I'm the epitome. And if we have to say and we have to realize that there is an almighty God in heaven, then I don't have the job. <laughs> and that's tough. We don't like that as people. We want to be the king. This is where atheists struggle. Because if God is real, they don't get to be the, the, the boss anymore. They don't get to be the, the God Another problem they have is they don't like to abide by the rules. Isn't that what it said? They are corrupt. Right there in verse 1. They are corrupt. They have committed repulsive and unspeakable deeds. This is where they're at. A lot of people, and it's happening across the world, especially in the United States now, where the church and the world is trying to mesh. Let's put these two things together. You live like you want, you act like you want, you do everything you want all the time, and then you come to church on Sunday, you raise your hands, you say, I'm a Christian. Does not work. Why? Because Jesus Christ died on a cross to wash us uh, our sins away, to cleanse us from unrighteousness. What did he tell the lady? He said, go and sin no more. As a child of God, sin is repulsive to us. But the world 
wants to do what they want to do. And it doesn't matter how destructive it is. You'll see it. Just go down to the convenience store and spend a few minutes. You'll see them come in and you'll see them throw a case of beer on the counter and a carton of cigarettes on the counter and a whole bunch of lottery tickets on the counter and pay for it with money I can't imagine where they get. And then they leave having used their hard-earned money to buy things that are going to destroy them. That's what the world does. And they don't want anybody telling them you're not supposed to do that. That's where the problem is. I like my sin. In that movie on uh, Sunday night we watched, if you were here, um, Paris Reedhead, one of my all-time favorite sermons, Ten Shekels and a Shirt. He had a a statement in there. You'll remember this. My all-time favorite statement of any sermon I've ever heard. He said he had went to Africa and, and was, uh, was going to take the gospel to them. And he, when he got there, he realized that they are monsters of iniquity that deserved, their, de- that deserved to go to hell. Wow, that was one of those. There were several places in that sermon that I just stopped and had to really listen to. He said, they're monsters of iniquity that deserve hell. That seems like a harsh statement. But you know what? That's where we are outside of Jesus Christ. We are monsters of iniquity that deserve our, our recompense, deserve hell. And so when, if, if the world accepts Jesus Christ, they don't get to do whatever they want anymore. That's where the problem is. Sin is more valuable to them than acknowledging that God is real. And then you're getting in the way of my wants. I want this. If God is real, He gets in the way of what I want. I want to gauge my path. I want to decide what to do. I want to decide the direction that I go. See, this, this stuff about atheism and Christianity and, and such, they may, it makes intelligent guys sound stupid. You start to read people like Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawkins or Christopher Hitchens or Vince Bugliosi and and you look at their stuff. These are brilliant men. These are geniuses on every level. And they can talk amazingly about physics and and, and, uh, genetics and you know thermodynamics and all these things. But when they start to talk about religion, they start talking in circles and they ramble and they don't make sense. These guys have all written books about how dumb you and I are. Every one of them has written books about how dumb we are. I have read several of those books and I look at them and I think, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're talking stupid. I actually wrote a letter to Vince Bugliosi one time and told him that he really should stick to writing what you know. That's like the first rule of, of writing is write what you know because you're writing things you have no idea what you're talking about. He didn't answer. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but when it comes to people, their agenda always trumps the truth. We do that. We do that. We do it on our side. They do it on their side. We go with what we believe. And many of us, if we were back to the wall and pinned, could not intelligently define why we believe in God. What, they couldn't intelligently defend Christianity. That's just the reality of it. That's where most people are. And, and, and so, we hold that belief, and sometimes we're not even sure why we hold that belief. But I'm going to tell you something. The facts are on your side, whether you realize them, <laughs> realize they're there or not. The facts are on your side. See, 
we have this climate change argument. It's been going on for years now. You remember when we were a kid, the earth was going to be an ice age? Remember that? <laughs> By the year 2000, we were all going to be froze over and dead. And then all of a sudden, the earth started warming up, and they said, well, we need to change this. And so then all of a sudden, it was all, we're going to burn up. By, you know, shortly after the year 2000, we're all going to burn up. Well, then the earth started cooling again, and they're like, forget it, let's just say climate change. Since nothing else we're working on works. And they, and they come up with models, and not one of their models works. And they come up with predictions, and not one of their predictions has come to pass. And yet, do they stop and change from their theories? No, they keep going, and they say, well, we have a consensus of the science. Okay, the problem is their agenda trumps truth. And what is usually behind that? How did I even get into this? Uh, <laughs> money is always behind this stuff. Money is all, billions of dollars are pumped into this belief in this climate change thing. Does the climate change? Yeah. Absolutely. It's been changing since God created the earth. It's been changing. It was hotter when, when Julius Caesar was here than it is now. I, you know. But we, that's where we got. We have people that are protesting on the streets of America wanting socialism. Socialism has never worked. It never will work. But they don't know. And so their, their agenda trumps the facts. And it says here in this passage we read, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the children... Uh, of men to see if there are any who are wise. Any who are wise. So many people say I'm too rational to believe in God. Here's the deal. One of the best arguments that goes on is creationism versus evolution. This is kind of the brass tacks. This is kind of where the, the rubber meets the road. Here's why. If evolution is true, Genesis is wrong. That's why everything in science is being poured into, into to finding evidence of evolution. They have done they they banking on this thing. Everything they find, every every archaeological uh, discovery, they they funnel through the belief in evolution. There's some things that have to be um, that have to take place. First of all, let me say this: they changed the definition because they couldn't get it to work. Evolution used to mean going from one species to another, meaning a dog evolves into a horse. There was a thing widely understood, very commonly understood, of the adaptation of the species. Nobody has ever argued that. Meaning that if you have people who live in cold climates, they actually genetically change their, their characteristics that take place to make them more uh, susceptible, or, or I'm sorry, more adaptable to that environment. There are tribal people where the women all pull their hairs in super tight buns, and now all the women are born with a bald spot back there. It's a genetic code. If your father was an alcoholic, they can identify the genetic code in your body that would give you a, a tendency towards that same thing. That's adaptation of the species. Now they call that microevolution. It used to be just adaptation. Now it's microevolution. Why did they do that? So they could say, we've already proven evolution is true. But where they have a problem, and they have to do this in order to make it work, they have to find something that is in the state of evolving. About, 
I think it was about four million years ago, we evolved legs. Here's the problem. You have a blob. It has no legs. All of a sudden, they didn't just wake up one day and go, cool, I have legs. (laughs) It started a couple of lumps that have no purpose. Just a couple lumps. And then those lumps got longer. And they still had no purpose. And the lumps got longer and they got longer. They haven't found any people like that. Millions and millions and millions of fossils and they haven't found anybody with those little nubs that are just starting to evolve into legs. Why do you have eyes? Okay, you have a blob that has nothing and what? Evolution says we need them to see, but it's going to take six million years to evolve these eyeballs. What? So all of a sudden your, uh, your head has a hole, like a couple holes, and the slowly, they're, they're useless, you know, but these holes over hundreds of thousands of years and millions of years evolve, and one day you wake up and say, oh, I can see. It just doesn't work, and there's no what they call transitional fossils. There's a lot of them they try really hard to say are transitional fossils, but there is none. There's nothing that shows a part of evolution taking place. And this is the, the they, they do everything. They're looking, uh, no matter what they find, they look at it and say, oh, it's a transitional fossil. And then a while later they look and say, no, it really isn't. That's not at all what it is. And I said all that to say this. And this will build your faith, if you're a geek like me. Uh, <laughs> a guy named Dr. Linsky in 1988 started an experiment. He took an E. coli, particularly E. coli bacteria, and I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible. He took this particular E. coli bacteria that actually reproduces every 20 minutes. And he said, I can prove evolution with this. This is cool. Because what you have is generation after generation after generation in an extremely short amount of time. So he was convinced that he was going to prove evolution by this E. coli. It started out as an E. coli in his Perfect laboratory. By evolution science, was the earth a perfect laboratory when evolution was taking place? No, it was lava and, and craziness and, you know, flux and all. No. But this perfect laboratory. Now we have 30 years have gone by. This year will be 30 years that this experiment has taken place. There has been over almost 70,000 generations of this E. coli reproducing. 70,000. It equals over a million years of history, figuring the, 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 uh, the generations of, of humans. It would be a million years, equal to a million years of human history. They've watched this E. coli reproduce over and over and over. There's been changes. There has been definite changes. It eats some things now that it didn't eat before. And I won't get into all that because it's kind of complicated. There's a lot of arguments in that because they found out that, yeah, it eats different things because it was in a different environment. They changed the environment, so it ate something different. They're bigger than they were 30 years ago. They're bigger. What is that? Adaptation of the species. That's what it does. You know what? That E. coli that was an E. coli 30 years ago, you know what it is now? It's still an E. coli. 70,000 generations, and it's still an E. coli. Their own experiment destroyed their own argument. 
And oh, you ought to see them try. It's hilarious to actually watch his interviews or read his papers talking about anything that this thing does different now than it did 30 years ago, hoping to hang the evolution tag on it. But the simple fact is, one million years of human history, there would have to have been evolutionary changes if it was true. Nothing has happened. It's still an E. coli. That's the fact. They can't stand that. It drives them crazy. But I'm telling you, that ought to build our faith. Who's being rational? Us or them? (laughs) I mean, where's the rational at? It makes rational sense to understand that God created the universe. And if creation is real, then there's a million different religions out there, right? It could be any one of the above. No, here's the problem. Only one of them has this. Only one of them has the word of the living God. More geek stuff. Archaeological evidences are, are, are happening all the time. We have this huge argument going on that they say, well, millions of people came out of Egypt and there's not one shred of archaeological evidence that the, 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 the Jews ever came out of Egypt. That was a few years ago. Now they are, are finding archaeological evidence that they came out of Egypt. Here's the problem. The Middle East is sand. And like one archaeological scientist said, he said, they haven't even scratched the surface of archaeological uh, research over there. He said, it's changing all the time. Windstorm. He said, we just found a 1940 pickup truck that was under 15 feet of sand. 15 feet of sand. And they're saying, well, there's no archaeological evidence of this. Well, my goodness, you haven't even, you, you couldn't possibly dig the whole Sinai up. And they didn't live in a city. They were moving. They were moving all the time. So it's not the same thing. But they have found recent archaeological evidence for the Jews coming out of Egypt. The scientists are freaking out. They have to do something with that evidence. So they try everything they can to deny it. They tried for years and years and years to say the Hittites were all an imagination. It was a myth in the Bible. They did not, they did not even exist. Oh, a couple de- decades ago, they found the main city of the Hittites. They said for many years that David never existed. He was a mythical figure in, in Jewish history. And then they found <laughs> David's temple and different things like that. The evidence is on our side. The evidence is with us. Does, does, that, does that make you just happy? I mean, I, just, I love it. I'm a geek. I'm a geek. I admit it. I'm a geek. I like looking at this stuff. It is exciting to me when I look at this and realize that the evidence is on my side. Rational thinking is with me. I'm with... Get with you afterwards. This experiment, to me, this Lenski experiment showed so much... Of the reality of creation. God created an E. coli. And he created that E. coli to adapt to its environment in different ways. But it will always be an E. coli. 30 years from now when that professor or that doctor is gone and dead. That E. coli is still going to be an E. coli. It's never going to change. Darwinism's atheism prevents science from knowing why things are as they are. Without God, there is no answer to why anything 
is the way it is. And that's so true. God gives explanation. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, from whom a greater part remain to this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and the last of all, He was seen of me also. As one born out of due time. This is all evidence for the resurrection. I've said it many times. They always say they want extra biblical evidence. This is extra biblical evidence. Nobody sat down and said, I'm going to write the Bible today. They sat down and wrote a letter. That's what they did. They... I don't know. I don't believe they even knew they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at the time. They might have, but I don't. I think they just said, hey, I think I need to write a letter to the Corinthians. And wrote a letter to the Corinthians. God inspired that letter. And it became scripture later on. It was extra biblical. And so we don't ever look down through history at historical writings and look at it and say, yeah, I don't really believe any of that happened. Because it makes no sense at all to say... 2,000 years in the future, look back at somebody who's contemporary writing at the time and saying, yeah, you're just full of it. You're crazy. That didn't happen. That's stupid. (laughs) That would be stupid to even do that. But see, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to a guy who just denied him. Now think about Peter's position. Here he is. He's following Christ. He's just like you and me. He is not Superman. We like to put red S's on the backs of, of, uh, of the apostles and say these guys were just Superman. No, they weren't. They were just like you and me. They were men who knew God. They were called for a specific purpose and they were anointed for that purpose. Peter struggled with his faith. When it came to the time where either you deny Christ or you die, he was like, yeah, I don't even know who that guy is. I don't even know who he is. And then all of a sudden, after he watches him die, and after he watches him be a drug away and put in a tomb, one day he appears to him. It changed Peter's life. It turned everything around. All of a sudden, this guy who had just, who had just denied Christ to save his skin, now was ready to proclaim Christ at the cost of his skin. Same guy. Same guy. Then he appeared to 500. And I've used this illustration before. If there was a gunfight right out here in the street, and they, and they, or let me back up. If somebody said there was a gunfight right out here in the street, and they published in the paper, and they said, 500 people from my own saw this happen, what would you do? Did you see the gunfight? No, I didn't see it. Did you? No. Did you? No. Pretty soon you'd be going, you know, I haven't ran into any person in I own who said they saw the gunfight. Not one. It wouldn't take long before somebody said, yeah, that article was bogus. That fight never happened. It did not happen. There's not one historical writing of the people of that day saying, yeah, this whole Jesus resurrecting thing was a fraud. It didn't happen. Somebody would have called them on it, but nobody did. It's an evidence. It's a fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Somebody would have denied it. He was seen of his own family. Nobody wants to accept you for who you are in your walk with God less than the family. That's your, that's your hardest battle, isn't it always? 
The family is always the hardest battle. If Jesus was a fraud, his own family would have rose up against him. But they didn't. He was seen of Paul. The apostles gave their lives for the truth. Would you do that? If you absolutely knew that it was a lie... This is all a fraud, it's all a fake, it's all nonsense, it never really happened. And then it comes to the point where they say we're going we're gonna to torture you and hang you upside down on a cross and kill you if you don't deny, deny this. And you knew it was a lie? What would you do? Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> nah, that was, nah, it didn't happen, I'm out of here. <laughs> but every one of the apostles were ready to give their lives and most of them died painful, horrible deaths proclaiming that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Folks, Jesus rose from the dead. In Acts chapter 5, verse 34, it says, And then stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had a reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say to you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found to even to fight against God. Very wise man. He said, knock it off. You're creating a tension between the people and the government. You're, you're creating discord within the community. Leave him alone. If he's a fraud, he will go away. If he's not a fraud, you're fighting against Almighty God. That can lead to a bad day. Don't do it. Very wise words. Matthew 27 says, And when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Think about those guys now. They were the ones who actually crucified Christ. Can you imagine carrying that? See, we know that no matter how deep somebody goes, that God can save them. We know the jailer in the, in the jail got, got saved. We know that, that no matter how deep in the, the government, how deep in, in sin, whatever, they can be saved. These guys actually crucified Christ. And you know what? I believe, and I, I've said this before, I believe the Sadducees and the Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus was. It was too clear. You could go clear back to the Old Testament and, and trace down the exact day that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. You could pick it to the exact day. Those guys had the Old Testament. They had the Torah memorized. They had it memorized. They knew every word of it. They knew every prophecy. They knew where he was going to be born. They knew when he was going to come into Jerusalem. They knew when he was going to be born. Everything. 
They knew it. They knew who Jesus was. That's my opinion. I can't take you to a scripture that says that. That's my belief. I believe they knew exactly who Jesus was. But the problem is, they could not bend a knee to Him as Almighty God. They say they were looking for a Messiah, but they were not looking for a Messiah. They didn't want a Messiah to show up. They liked the power and authority and the money they enjoyed every day. They weren't willing to give that up. That's where everybody on the street is that we meet every day. God, I believe, placed within every human being the belief in God. I believe that every person drawing breath believes there's a God. That's why atheists hate Him so bad. That's why they spend their hard-earned money to put billboards up saying that He doesn't exist and all that. They believe in Him. It's not a matter of belief. The Bible says even the devils believe. It's not that. It's that they can't bend a knee to Him. They're not willing to come to that point of bending a knee. See, the resurrection provided some things for us. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it became the culmination Everything in here, from Genesis to Malachi, is worthless outside of the resurrection. The resurrection is what brought this whole thing together. It's what made truth fulfilled. It's what what made it uh, of effect. Because outside of that, it was just another religion that had rules and had guidelines and had things that you had to do. But Jesus Christ raising from the dead was everything that the Scripture had prophesied. It was the fulfillment of the whole story. So when Jesus rose from the dead, the religion became a faith, a true, honest-to-goodness walk with Almighty God. It brought man and God together. And from that, He gave us victory over sin. Sin no longer rules you. You rule sin. And I know you're thinking, well, I sure mess up a lot part of life. But God cleanses us from that sin because we have an advocate with the Father. He stands as a lawyer for us. He argues our case. He carried that sin. It was on his shoulders. God gave us that. He gave us salvation from hell from the resurrection. When he resurrected from the dead, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. It no longer controls you. You control it. God controls it through you. Salvation is now possible because of the resurrection. It was not possible until the resurrection took place. And He gave us a life of hope and peace. No longer do I have to go through life wondering how this thing's going to end. You know what? This old body is going to break down. It's going to get more and more... uh, Stiff, it's going to hurt more, it's going to, I'm going to go to the doctor and they're going to give me bad news and all that. And one day, y'all are going to be gathered in here and I'm going to be in a box. I already gave my wife instructions, just drive up on a mountain, open the tailgate, floorboard the truck, everything's good. That should, that should solve the problem. Everything taken care of. I know what this old body's going to do, but the difference is, once this heart stops beating, I know what happens after that. The world lives in terror, wondering what's happening after that. Praise God. We're saved by the blood. That's what the resurrection does. The world fights against the very hope that they have right at their disposal. 
Because Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He bought that. We don't wonder anymore. Like I say, we know what this body's going to do. The world doesn't have a clue what's going to happen after the heart stops. But we have a hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ our King. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the, uh, the elders to come. We've got a couple here, right? We've got three, yeah. And help with communion. We're going to have a time of communion. And this is a special thing. This is a special time. And I'm going to, let me read a passage of scripture real quick and then we'll go back to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye, as often as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink of this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and, uh, and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And I think any time that we have the Lord's Supper, I think the, the minister has a responsibility to read that. that says, examine yourselves. Do not take of this unworthily. Does that mean I have to be a perfect Christian to take communion? No, what that's talking about is taking it in reverence and understanding of what this is. They were, they were having big dinners and parties and all this stuff and, and calling it the Lord's Supper. That's what he was trying to straighten out in here. This isn't about a meal. So, so to speak, it is about a reverence and understanding the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. So we take it in reverence of Almighty God. So if you would, gentlemen, could you serve the folk?